Okay, we are back after months and months and months. Oh boy, when I first started recording Priestics in Recovery, oh my God, it was right after um, shutdown of the United States with COVID-19. We were panicking, (laughs) we were adjusting, we were starting to understand what the hell was going on. It is now November 30th, so it has been quite some time. And I'm so glad to be able to record this after saying that um, just had a wave of gratitude and understanding how happy I am and how grateful I am to be safe and to be healthy and um, just want to send ease out there to folks and also just like celebrate a little bit because I really, really have wanted to record this podcast and talk about these things and I'm excited to just share them. I'm excited to share my learning. I'm excited to um, connect with other folks who are excited about this shit too. So here we go. Okay. So this is episode three of pre six in recovery, a podcast. And during this episode, um, I would like to talk about emotionally immature parents. Um, It's an interesting subject (laughs) because it is something that I have had lots of time to digest. Um, It took me a year to get to this point, actually one moment. of even being fully able to digest this information since I first read it. Um, When I first read Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Lindsay C. Gibson, PsyD, my whole world was shook. It was shook, you hear me? But we'll get into that fully throughout this whole episode. I wanted to start out with just being real for a second and again, go to the fact that it took me almost a year to record this episode because feelings of shame came up when creating um, all of the outlines for this podcast. So this is a series of nine episodes relating to healing, related to coming back to oneself after unlearning behaviors that have kept you away from your true self, have kept you in a role self, which we'll talk about also later on, um, basically have kept you in an illusion to serve others, to serve others in a um, illusion of you that serves them. It's not about you serving yourself. Um, But to say it plain, I was 
afraid of making my parents, most especially my mother, look bad. But my experience is important and I do deserve to speak from my heart. And I want folks who resonate with this to understand that they will get there when they get there and it will be worth it and you will feel amazing or not. You'll feel, um, you might feel like shit. You might feel confused. You might feel like you don't know where to go. Um, But the mantra that I've held closely is progress, not perfection. Um, I know one that's used a lot is healing is not a linear process when we see a lot. And it's, it's so true. It's not going to feel, you are not going to feel in control. You are going to feel, you are going to feel ungrounded. You are going to feel unclear. You are going to feel lost and you will come back. You will come back. Um, So just taking a moment to ground this episode in that. um, I want to be true to my experience in order to give you all an accurate portrayal of what this work of unlearning is like, of what this work of removing yourself from codependency, of... um, unlearning behaviors that are toxic to you and to other people in your life. I also wanted to share, um, I created some goals and and intentions um, with this episode just to, again, ground us in what I would like to share and and what a lens, um, my lens, what I would like to offer through my lens. Because there are many people that talk about this particular topic. Um, But my goals are to educate on the aspects of emotionally immature parents to create a sense of compassion both for you, the listener, and your parent in order to disconnect from the need to be validated from external sources, to open up the capacity to emotionally and energetically protect yourself and achieve inner peace, and to stop the reaching for perfection. Okay. Um, And my intention is just to engage you in a way that's relatable and palatable. If it's not palatable, that probably means you're not ready to hear this information yet. And that is valid. And you can come back to it when it feels appropriate for you. Okay. So I wanted to start the episode um, or officially begin the episode after all of that with a bit of grounding Um, just a short breathing exercise to relax us for this information that may be triggering, upsetting, or might piss you off. Um, I know it pissed me off. I know it made me sad. It, I was heartbroken. Um, and so... Let's just take a few deep breaths in order to allow our bodies to ease into whatever emotions and sensations we need to feel. So if you are sitting down, if you are somewhere where you can sit and relax, um, maybe in your car, you may be doing something where you need to be moving your body. But if you are able to rest your body and sit feeling your sit bones, feeling your butt in the chair, if you're sitting in a 
you are sitting, feeling your feet on the floor, feeling the connection to the ground, feeling the connection to your butt in the chair and knowing you are here or there, or rather in the physical space you occupy. And breathing into your belly, hold two, three, exhale out of the mouth, inhale in through the nose, into the bottom of the belly, two, three, exhale out of the mouth, one more breath, in through the nose, into the bottom of the belly, hold, two, three, exhale out of the mouth, let the shoulders drop. You can do a neck roll to the right, two, three, and pause and go to the other side, two, and three. Inhale through the nose. Exhale through the mouth. If you're able to, looking around the space, becoming aware of the environment around you, what's the temperature like? Do you smell any particular smells? food, smoke? Is there a breeze? What is the color on the walls? Are there any particular objects you notice in the room? Anything that brings you joy when you set your eyes upon it? Anything that you can offer appreciation to? Holding on to that. And again, closing the eyes if you are able or if you feel open to it. Letting that appreciation grow. Feeling that sensation of appreciation in your body, bringing awareness to where it lives in your body. and letting that exist with anything else you are feeling at this moment. Allowing yourself to feel everything you feel. Saying to yourself, I consent to this emotion of appreciation.
I allow this feeling of appreciation to live in my body. Inhale through the nose. Exhale through the mouth. And coming back. Thank you all for participating in that with me. My invitation to you is to take what you need and leave what you don't. Our mantra for today, today's episode is on time and just fine. <laughs> on time and just fine. So this is a mantra that came to me in the um, airport in Toronto, coming back to New York. It was a Monday. I had been on vacation for the weekend and I had a 6.30 a.m. flight and I was going through customs and it was going slow and I got really impatient and really fidgety. And all of a sudden I just heard on time and just fine. And I started singing on time and just fine, on time and just fine. I started singing and dancing in the line because I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna get there when I get there, all right? And do you know that that line started moving? What? Let me tell you, that line moved. Um, I got on that plane. I got home. Or no, I was, yeah, I was actually in the New York airport in customs. I was somewhere in the airport and it was going really slow. And I was just having a moment. And since then, I've just used that to remind myself that I'm exactly where I need to be. And I hope that... That can give you a little bit of pause to just accept where you are today. Okay, so getting into what is an emotionally immature parent. So let me talk about my why really quickly before I explain what an emotionally immature parent is. So I um, come from a parent, a household of I grew up with both of my parents until I was, um, I would say, 13. They were divorced, but they did co-parent. Um, my mother, I would be with my mother and my sister during the weekdays, and then on the weekends, I would be with my father. Um, you know, we've owned houses. Um, my parents have owned houses. We've lived in apartments. We've lived in all kinds of different situations. Um, my father was an alcoholic and he was older when I was born. He was 40, 39 when I was born. He had a high school education, 10th grade. He never went back to school. He was put in jail at 15 for um, beating up a white boy. Um, he's from, he grew up in Syracuse, New York in the 60s. And he was basically almost jumped and he had to defend himself and him and a white boy who was his friend beat up these white boys who tried to jump him and he got arrested and he was in jail for up until he turned 18 um he never went back to school but my dad was with the shits and then my mother was um was a teen mom. She was 18 when she had me. So huge age difference. Um, and she never, she also comes from an emotionally abusive, though um, 
upper middle class white family. Um, my father is black. So just want to give you the dynamics of that. So that me as the oldest child, um, parentified child, definitely, um, I'm, you know, black, queer, non-binary, femme, light-skinned, um, educational privilege. So I hold, I do hold massive privilege and also have a lot of emotional wounding that came from not getting the emotional um, tending that I needed as a young person. I was required to take care of my younger sister and I was also required to take care of myself. I learned very early on that I was not going to get what I needed emotionally. And so I went after it on my own. Um, in my adulthood, that took a toll, right? And um, contributed to habits and addictions and behaviors that were very self um they were in conflict to my real self. They were in conflict to who I actually am and they were destructive as fuck and kept me in situations <clears throat> that I did not need to be in and around people who were not my people, okay? And now at 31 years old, I'm able to put all of this in perspective because I have enough space from it and I've lived my life in a particular way to understand, oh, okay, this is a part of it. You know, I am a social worker. I'm a licensed master social worker in the state of New York. And obviously my education has contributed to my understanding of myself and other people. But I, aside from my education, it has been my self-education. And a part of that has been learning how to offer compassion to myself and why I made decisions that were just fucking stupid. <laughs> like, and I'm not even getting at myself right now. They were just really fucking dumb. Um, the things, the people that I was around, the things I did, you know, um, people I had sex with, like, just, ew, okay? But forgive, forgiveness has been a huge part of that and educating myself. And so now getting to the actual book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Lindsay C. Gibson, Saidi, again, um, very helpful book. It's incredibly illuminating. Um, as a Black person, I think it lacks nuance in terms of being able to um, speak about intergenerational trauma and certain patterns that Black people, uh, patterns and dynamics in Black families, right? But from a lens of being someone who um, wasn't was a, the oldest child, is the oldest child, and had to do a lot of the parenting, this was very helpful for me, um, even as a Black person, and being able to add my own lens um, and add in the, the structure around Black uh, families and the dynamics that we have with Black parents, there's people having Black parents, it was very helpful for me, but just a disclaimer that it's missing a lot of those elements. It's very much just looking at the what an what an emotionally immature parent is, 
Okay. And so um, let's define emotional maturity before we go into emotional immature immaturity. So the definition that's used in this book of emotional maturity is a person capable of thinking objectively. So outside of themselves, right? And conceptually while sustaining deep emotional connections to others. So you are able to think outside of yourself, meaning you are able to understand and put yourself in another person's experience or shoes and, and feel connected to them, even if that wasn't your experience. So having empathy, um, being able to relate to someone, being able to understand or feel their emotions, okay? Um, you can function independently. So again, a continuation of this definition. Um, someone who is emotionally mature can function independently while also having deep emotional attachments smoothly incorporating both into their daily life. Again, some of the stuff is going to be very white, but I'm just going to give it to you straight as it is from the book. And then we can go into the nuance of this. Um, direct about pursuing what they want without exploiting others. I will add exploiting and or manipulating others. Differentiated from their original family relationships sufficiently to build a life of their own well-developed sense of self, and we'll go into what that means a little bit later. Um, they treasure their closest relationships. Emotionally mature people uh, are comfortable and honest about their own feelings. They get along well with other people. Well-developed empathy, impulse control, emotional intelligence. They cope with stress in a realistic, forward-looking way while consciously processing thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Um, they control their emotions when necessary, anticipate the future, adapt to reality, use empathy and humor to ease difficult situations and strengthen bonds with others, and they enjoy being objective, know themselves enough to admit their weaknesses, okay? So again, just giving to you straight like that, That's those are all straight out the book. Um, and then traits of an emotionally immature person, rigid and single-minded low stress tolerance. They do what feels best for them. Okay. They do what feels best for them. They are subjective, not objective. They have little respect for differences. They are egocentric, self-preoccupied, and self-involved. They are self-referential, not self-reflective. Every conversation leads back to them. They like to be the center of attention. They promote role reversal and have low empathy and are emotionally insensitive. In summary, emotionally maturity undermines people's ability to deal with stress, be emotionally intimate. Um, emotionally immature people often grow up in environments that curtail their full emotional and intellectual development, causing them, um, causing them uh, lack of objectivity, fear of emotional intimacy, having a limited sense of self, so having a limited sense of understanding themselves outside of other people, right? Undermining their ability to be sensitive to other people's needs, okay? So that was a lot of information. <sighs> Take a little breath. 
Now, there are different, um, there are variations of what an emotionally immature parent can look like that are named in the book. I'm not going to go into what those different labels are. I'll just give you, I'll name them. And then I'm just going to give you the similarities between them all. I think you should just read the book. Like, I'm not here to give you a book summary. I'm here to explain it to you and then just go into why this was important for me. Okay, so the different types of emotionally immature parents, emotional, driven, passive, and rejecting. So emotional parents run by their feelings. They swing between over-involvement and abrupt withdrawal. So they're run by their feelings. They're not thinking ahead. They're just unpredictable. Driven parents are compulsively goal-oriented and super busy. So helicopter parents, tiger moms, that kind of thing. Passive parents, laissez-faire mindset and avoid dealing with anything upsetting. So, you know, the cool parent or the dad who's always just like, oh, your mom handles that. These are just stereotypes I'm giving you to help you understand. But, you know, very stereotypical. And then rejecting parents. So engage in a range of behaviors that make you wonder why they have a family in the first place. <laughs> And I think that's pretty um, straightforward. And we all have an example of that somewhere. The similarities between all of these variation of um, all of these categories of emotionally immature parents or caregivers, I'll say, um, they are self-involved, highly narcissistic, um, emotionally unreliable, egocentricity, insensitivity, limited capacity for genuine emotional intimacy, use non-adaptive coping mechanisms that distort reality rather than dealing with it. All use their children to make them feel better, leading to a parent-child role reversal and exposing their children to adult issues in an overwhelming way. With all four styles, children end up feeling de-selfed, because their needs and interests are eclipsed by what is important to their parents. So before I move on, you will feel it's a high probability that you had an emotionally immature parent if you have a hard time committing to things that you know would make you happy because you're thinking about either what your caregiver or parent is going to think, trying to prove them wrong about you, trying to get them to care about you, or you're worried about what other people will think because it can look like or transfer over to um, you making other people in your life more important than you, not just your caregivers, right? So you're you're worried about looking good, keeping appearances, um, that sort of thing. Um, if you feel like that's something that's coming up for you, read this book. Um, moving on. So who gives a shit, right? Like, why is this important to know? Why would a, Why would you want to spend your time reading this information, learning about it? Um so under, for me, these, this is why it was important for me. Um, everyone's going to have different reasons. 
um, and pieces that resonate with them. But for me, it was key. This information was so important in understanding um, my mother more. Both of my parents, but mostly my mother, um, and took me off the hook as the problem. The, the hard part about having emotionally immature parents is that, well, for me, again, I was not able to engage in relationship without having some sort of blame when it came to conflict for a long time until very, very recently. And I'm someone who, you know, was working in um, racial justice spaces, social justice spaces, spaces that uh, transformative justice, spaces that had transformative justice principles underneath um, and restorative justice principles, healing justice principles, which all are alternatives to the police state that is the United States of America. Um, and, you know, we, we all have a cop inside of us. And I think that um, the emotional maturity that I witnessed and the lack of empathy that I witnessed as a child and experienced as a child of an emotionally immature parent calcified that inner cop in such a way. It was incredible. Um, I could not, like, I could not engage in conflict without having to have someone be wrong. Someone had to be wrong. Okay, um, it's generational, it's systemic. It's contained in a container, a container of capitalism that values the individual based on what they provide and produce. So again, like we do not value people growing up as happy, well-rounded, um, satisfied human beings. We tell people, you need to get a job. You need to be able to pay your bills. Fuck your happiness. And that contributes to emotional immaturity, right? That is a huge contributor to emotional immaturity. Um, I don't think people want to be bad parents. I don't think people want to fuck up their kids for the most part. Some parents, some caregivers, some people are evil. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are just doing what they have learned. They are mimicking behavior, right? Um, and they don't have time to necessarily, um, and from my experience, my mom um, did not have time to learn how to take care of herself in a way that was necessary to provide um, emotional empathy to my sister and I. And so, <clears throat> right, I, I had I had known that intellectually, much like uh, much earlier on, obviously, right? You know, um, even though my mother is committed to her foolishness, I don't think she's a bad person. I think she's a great person, um, and. In, in a lot of ways, and I think she has very good intentions in a lot of ways, but her behavior is atrocious, and it's because she never was able to grow up. Um, 
And after a while, she was like, fuck it and threw it in the towel. That's my assessment of it, right? Um, another piece. So in the lens of being a descendant of enslaved African people in the U.S., it also ties in with the trauma our ancestors have passed down, the individual traumas of those who are your ancestors. So I'm just going off of my notes. That may have not made sense, but this is tying back into the piece that I was speaking about previously um, regarding the lens of, and I'll just use uh, Dr. Joy DeGroy's um, theory of post-traumatic slave syndrome, um, PTSS, um, in where we as Black people have to perform and we have to show up in order for people to respect Black folks. We, you know, that tradition, um, the tradition of keeping our family secrets, of not embarrassing or shaming Black folk, right? When we're thinking about the molesters who who keep um, getting invited to Thanksgiving, to Fourth of July, to Juneteenth, to the birthdays, to the anniversaries, all of that, the cookouts, like these lineages are just as present as our beautiful lineages. Um, and it's something that we need to address. Um, also, it's a part of the fact that we are not allowed as Black people to have feelings. <laughs> we are not allowed to have feelings. We are in a constant state of freeze. We are a constant state of heartbreak and rage and anger. And we're just not able to like take time um, to process our childhoods in the same way, right? And like the lack of loyalty and compassion that that feels like to do to our black parents, to our caregivers who gave up a lot most of the time to take care of us. Um, this information, next point, it allows you to understand the world through a lens of care by understanding most folks are not being cared for in the ways they need because they are used. Um, excuse me. Let me read what this says. Oh, they're used to, um, behavior, um, that does not meet their needs, right? Like they are used to performing versus being. Um, They're more likely than not see themselves as bad and have deep feelings of shame they are reacting from. So reactive or shut down states um, is usually where cruel behavior comes from. So I'm gonna break that up a little bit. Um, So, This, for me, allowed a lens of care for my mother, specifically. Um, Because her needs were not met, her her emotional needs were not met. Um, She was used to performing. You know, she um, was used to just doing, doing, doing. She got a college degree with two children. We went to college with her. Um, She was working at the mall. She was working minimum wage jobs. She worked as a nurse and then she went and got 
a business degree and then she was making good money and then she wasn't making good money. And then it was just like, there were so many pieces of her life that, um, she had to take care of children. So, and also had to take care of my father who was an alcoholic, um, for a large part of that. And, uh, she was never able to fully look at the deep feelings of shame. Um, there are still times she talks about things that happened to her as a child. Okay. And uh, I can't even imagine what kind of place that feels like being in your fifties. She's in her fifties. She's young. Y'all I told you she was young. I don't um, want to be in that place when I'm 50. Um, and so now I think, um, she's coming from a place of shutdown. You know, she's like, it is what it is. And when I tried to have conversations with her, she is very reactive, um, or avoidant. There have been times and, and she's, that hasn't been as of recently. Well, I haven't spoken to her in quite some time, but when we were speaking, cruel, right? Cruel reactions to um, really important things that I was trying to bring to her attention, trying to bring her into my experience around. The last point I have is if you allow, if you allow it or can allow for space for compassion to be had where there was once hate, resentment, shame, and shutdown. Okay, so this is for me, um, how this information impacted me. It allowed space for compassion where I was once resentful um, and shameful and shut down because I was just like, why doesn't my parent like me? You know, like you, you make it about them just not liking you as a person, um, about you being too difficult, about you being too much period insert word like i'm sure y'all can come up with whatever works for your situation um but it's not about that it is not about that but you will carry that imprint from a child because as children we try to make sure our parents are happy, our caregivers are happy, and we try to behave in a way that allows them to be happy and also to give us what we need, um, to give us the emotional attention that we need, right? Um, that can adapt in a myriad of ways. Um, <clears throat> but if once you become aware of how you were neglected, if you were someone who was emotionally neglected, emotionally abused, um, physically abused, like the whole spectrum. But for me personally, uh, um, emotional neglect and abuse, um, you're fucking pissed off and you start to try to rationalize what, why that happened, why a whole ass adult who was supposed to take care of you, didn't take care of you, <laughs> okay? And then it starts impacting every single fucking relationship that you have. Now, I'm sure that y'all are aware of this, have done work around this, have eat, have done some reading about it. Um, but the piece that was really cool for me, I mean, the whole book was cool for me, but 
I've really started, it started getting real juicy when they started talking about um, the creation of a role self and healing fantasies that we act out with our other relationships, right? So <clears throat> the role self is the self you create once you understand that being yourself is not enough and this and that you need to purport yourself a specific way in order to get the attention that you want in order to be acknowledged at all probably and so there's an exercise in here um, that helps you understand what your role self was or is if you're still acting in that you know no shade no shame it is what it is it makes complete sense in the container of a, being a child of an emotionally um, immature parent, an adult child of an emotionally immature parent. So let me, I didn't write down this definition, um, but I want to read a little bit from this passage. Okay, how parents influence development of the role self. Okay, so developing a role self, if your parents or caregivers don't adequately respond to your true self in childhood, you'll figure out what you need to do to make a connection. Instead of just being who you are, you'll develop a role self or pseudo self that will give you a secure place in your family system. This role self gradually replaces the spontaneous expression of the true self. This role self might be based on a belief such as I'll become so self-sacrificing self that other people will praise me and love me. Or it might take the negative form of I'll make them pay attention to me one way or the other. Okay, so I did the exercise and my role self was just basically being... Um, and it, it's definitely shifted over time, but my role self was definitely being someone who could help my whole family heal. So being the emotional dumping toilet for my whole family after a certain point, um, so they could realize how wrong they were and how, you know, good I am and realize that they just needed to know what I knew and learn what I learned and just be happy with themselves. That's narcissism in a whole other light, honey. It was too much. Okay. Um, what's the other part that I wanted to read? As a child, if you found a role that fits your parents' needs like a key in a lock, you probably would have quickly identified with this role self. In the process, your true self would have become more invisible as you transformed into what your family system needed you to be. This kind of divestment from your true self can sabotage your intimate relationships as an adult. You can't forge a deep and satisfying relationship from the position of a role self. You have to be able to express enough of your true self to give the other person something real to relate to. Without that, the relationship is just play acting between two role selves. Another problem with the role self is that it doesn't have its own source of energy. 
It has to steal vitality from the true self. Playing a role is much more tiring than just being yourself because it takes a huge effort to be something you are not. And because it's made up, the role self is insecure and afraid of being revealed as an imposter. Okay. Oh my fucking God. Like, whew, I still struggle with this shit all the time because I, my role self and the, the self that I have created in the world is definitely, you know, I'm definitely a healer and I definitely have psychic gifts, but I have given too much of myself and I was doing way, way too much. And I'm finally coming to a place of just being like, okay, how can I slow step into what I actually want to do? What makes me feel happy at 31? Um, I'm very appreciative and grateful for all the experiences that I've had. And I've had amazing people in my life, but I definitely haven't been honest with myself or others as far as what I actually want. I want to be taken care of. I want to be babied. Like I want to be loved on, kissed on. I want to be number one. I'm talking about in the context of like a romantic relationship. Um, I like a lot of attention. I'm a fire sign. Okay. Like I like a lot of attention, period. I like being loved on. I like being praised. I like having fun. I want you to have fun with me. I want you to laugh with me. Hee hee, kee kee. I want you to be interested in me. And I want to do that with you. I want to be interested in you. Like, I want to ask you hella questions. I want to go deep, right? Um, and in terms of friendships and other relationships, like, I need to be able to be curious, ask a lot of questions, be creative, um, make jokes, be funny, like, be anecdotal. That's just. Those are just some small pieces, but I cannot be this robot person. And I feel like I've tried to like fit myself into a lot of spaces and not just myself, but I know y'all are probably feeling this because if you are a parentified child, if you are a child of emotionally immature parents, you weren't able to be what you wanted to be in the moment. That self-expression was not there. And black folks, self-expression is just not even a, no, because that's not safe. Damn near anywhere. Um, so, excuse me. Let's just be real about that. Um, but as you become more aware, as I've become more aware, you can understand what spaces are safe and you can start molding them to be safe and for you to be yourself and for you to understand why you do things the way that you do them and for you to actually create safety in your body to be authentic to your true self and actually get to know that person because you might even know you might not even know yourself look I've been getting to know myself for years I am a completely different person than I was five years ago two years ago one year ago six months ago okay like I'm constantly getting to know myself and that is the most important thing for me. I don't give a shit about anything else if I'm not able to, you know, check in, tap in with myself on a daily basis. I am in a bad mood if you don't let leave me be, okay? Um, my morning routine is very important to me. My work is very important to me because my work in 
also, you know, connects with me getting to know myself and getting to know others and connecting with others through my experiences. And so I encourage you to really get to know yourself, like go through self-exploration on a sexual level, on an emotional level, on a relationship level. If this is work that if you realize that you are performing on a level that because we all have to perform in a certain sense in the world. That's just the reality. There's an inner world and there's an external world. And we do have to perform in a certain way. However, if you realize you are performing to the point where you're exhausted and you are just, you don't even understand where your motivation is coming from and you feel like you're doing things because you're supposed to be or you're shooting yourself, um, should, (laughs) S-H-O-U-L-D, shooting yourself into doing things, that's a problem. And if your relationship with your caregivers or parents feels that way and you feel obligated then we, there needs to be a conversation around boundaries in regards to them because they are definitely using you as an energy source. But that's a whole nother conversation. Okay, so this shit is hard, right? This shit is hard. Um, coming to grips and understanding around how the emotional maturity of your caregiver your parent has impacted you and how it has kept you away from yourself in order to feel validated within your family system. That is difficult. That is difficult. That is so much to digest, so much to process. It takes time. What is there to actually gain from this? Freedom, coming home to yourself, being able to feel in control of your life, being able to welcome your body back to you, being able to live according to your own rules, values, beliefs. Uh, It is an opportunity to gain self-compassion, to gain kindness toward yourself, a kindness and a light and a love toward yourself, to gain a relationship with yourself as yourself, your actual self, to understand what makes you joyful and happy by just being a relationship a relationship with yourself that feels satisfying and honest relationships with others that feel satisfying and honest that is goals okay like i am still learning every day i'm learning what i want it is a process it takes time i am not saying that this is going to be an overnight thing But what I am saying is, is that you will rediscover who you are and be able to have so much fun, hopefully, along the way, because you're getting to know the person that will always do you right, which is you. And I guarantee that you do not feel that you have always done yourself right, right now, if you are just understanding the impact of the relationship to your emotionally immature caregiver and yourself. I guarantee you, you are betraying yourself in some way, shape or form, okay? Um, Especially if you're someone who is a marginalized person, right? Um, uh, Especially people who are socialized as women, girls, feminine people, people who are assigned female at birth, right? Like the socialization and the social container that is gender roles and norms is bullshit. And you are um, 
under pressure to perform in a particular way, um, in, under pressure to perform your life in a way that makes other people feel comfortable because they don't have to question the way they live, okay? You make people question themselves by being yourself. And that is a huge reason why your parents will be shady when you, if and when you start this process. Um, I started this process a long, like, uh, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to be more specific. I started this process of separating from my mother. And like really, really when I was about 24 years old. So I had moved to New York in 2011, but I was still very close with my sister, with my mother. I used to talk to my mother constantly and everything that I experienced, I had to basically funnel through her, right? Like I wanted her opinion. I wanted to know what she thought I should do. Um, even though she and I are very different, we're very different on so many levels and it didn't even make sense for me to be asking for her opinion. But I thought she had her shit together in a certain way. So I was like, okay, you know, like my mother and it. this was all codependent. Um, one other thing, one thing that you will discover if you read this text is that emotionally immature caregivers and parents in lieu of emotional intimacy, they create a meshment, right? And that's where codependency develops. If you are an adult child of an alcoholic or um, addict, you will be familiar with this. Um, codependency, a meshment, there is no true intimacy because you are not appreciated for who you are. You are appreciated for the role that you play. You are appreciated for serving the needs of a person. Okay, these needs come from a wounded place. And it's the same thing when it comes to an emotionally immature parent. All right, well, it's a similar, it, it's a very similar dynamic, right? Obviously, dynamics will be different depending on the person situation. However, it's very similar in the sense of you play a role and that's all you can do. You cannot do anything outside of that, have feelings, expression, etc. okay? Um, you have to make sure that you're in that place so they can feel comfortable because they don't know what to do outside of that because they don't know how to deal with anyone who doesn't play their game. <laughs> They don't know how to deal with anyone who doesn't play their game. So when you break out of that cycle of enmeshment, when I broke out of that cycle of enmeshment with my uh, mother and my sister, oh, it was fighting, fighting, fighting. Like it was just, there are so many layers to it. I mean, she's white. She's, she's white. There's, <laughs> you know, there was levels of racism and homophobia, um, transphobia, all types of isms that I had to break down within myself and identify and I still have to and I had to identify with her and put boundaries around also dynamics with my sister, um, triangulation. 
that should be a whole other episode, but it will create stress and you will have to be comfortable with choosing yourself over that relationship. And they might, that may not come right away. Um, and that is okay. Wherever you are at is okay. As long as you're being honest with yourself that you are playing a role, okay? Um, and that your caregiver more likely than not is not going to respond. And I know this sounds very harsh, but they're more likely than not going to respond to your advances for actual emotional connection. They literally do not have the capacity to do it. They literally do not have the capacity to hear you, to see you, because they don't even see themselves. They don't see themselves. They want to be able to act a fool in their little bubble, in their little world that they've created because that's where they feel validated. That is the role that they have taken on and continued. Um, more likely than not, you will try to get them to understand you, like the actual you, and you will try to have conversations with them as the actual you, and they will not be successful. So this is where <clears throat> we start to talk about the emotional maturity method. This is another um, part of the book that I think is very interesting. So when I actually started to try and, and get my mom to understand me and try to be myself and all this stuff, it was like, okay, but my mom started taking on roles that were bullshit. Um, she started taking on this role of being someone who was super progressive and emotionally mature, but in actuality, she was not. She was not. Um, and I was so angry. Okay, well, I'm skipping ahead. When we when when the process first started, I was just pissed the fuck off. I was pissed off at her. She could do nothing right. Um, and they talk about breaking down and awakening, the process of breaking down and awakening. One part of it is waking up to anger, waking up to better self-care is a piece they discuss, waking up through relationship breakdowns, something I'm still in the process of, waking up from idealizing others, waking up to your strengths, waking up to a new set of values, um, and waking up by getting free of childhood issues. So I was angry as hell. And it's been, again, healing is not linear. It has been a process of up and down, of up and down, multiple therapists, multiple healing modalities, multiple um, relationships where everything I was going through was being mirrored. And I think you will start to find that you see Every person in your life is a mirror of your emotional health um, or emotional state, right? Like where you are in your process. Um, if you are, like for me, for example, I was just dating so many resentful people who had no empathy and who were rude and fucked up. 
And that was because that's where I was. Um, I wasn't, I'm not going to say that. I was resentful as fuck. I did not have space for compassion. Um, I was not very forgiving to myself or others. I was, I, I hated myself. I did not understand. I felt like I was bad. I felt like everything in my life was horrible. And I had so much to be grateful for. I had so much to be grateful for, but I literally couldn't see the good in my life because I was so angry and so heartbroken and so sad. So you will find that people in your life are mirrors. And as I went through my process um, in finding my myself, my authentic self, outside of this enmeshment, um, I went from codependent relationship to codependent relationship to codependent relationship. Um, the people who I was friends with were committed to performance. They were committed to looking good on the outside, but on the inside, they felt like shit. And that's where I was. You know, I mean, like I wasn't really, I wasn't happy. People thought I had it all together. People thought, um, people thought I was, I really had my shit together. And inside I was just like, oh my God, so hard on myself, so angry, so resentful. Like it was, it was, um, there was just no space for anything. And to have fun, I had to be drunk. You know, I was smoking cigarettes. I was like a functioning alcoholic for sure. I wasn't doing drugs, thankfully, but I was doing drugs in my early 20s. And I was in really unhealthy relationships. I was in relationships that were not satisfying to me because I was just happy to feel valued. I was happy that people were paying attention to me. It didn't matter that the attention wasn't actual attention that I needed, right? I'm sipping my water, excuse me. And so, <clears throat> and this was me going through my 20s. So the path will look different for everyone, but the understanding of your relationships mirroring your relationship with yourself, I think is a key component that we all experience. And then basically I'm not friends with any of those people in that process anymore um, that I was like really close with. Of course, all those exes are gone. I don't speak to them. Um, and now I'm at a place where I don't really speak to many people because I was distracting myself and I finally realized that I, how distracted I was because I just needed to feel good finally, you know, in those from 2014 to now 2020, I needed to feel good. And that was the focus was just feeling good after feeling like such shit and feeling and not feeling valuable in my family unit, my family unit, excuse me. And so I created other family units where I was necessary and I, burned me out. It exhausted me. It exhausted me because I wasn't being myself. So now my journey is to just be and let go of the distraction and let go of my need to be distracted, um, which is something I wasn't fully conscious of until very recently, you know, this year with COVID, like being alone, being in the house, understanding, like really getting 
the perspective shift in order to understand what was important for me. Like, why did I need all of this other shit going on in my life when really what I wanted was intimacy? What I really wanted was to feel important to someone and deeply understood by someone or someone's. To feel like it was okay to be myself at all times and not be performing, not shucking and jiving for motherfuckers, okay? Not singing and dancing as my daddy would say. Like, no, I'm sitting there, I'm chilling. I'm not talking to you. I'm watching my, I'm watching, like, binge watching Netflix as I often do, um, farting, burping. Um, I haven't showered. You know, I look ridiculous. My face is not washed. My breast stinks. Uh, you know, it's just like, I am in my true form. And that be okay to whoever, whomever is around. Um, and them just be like shaking their head at my corny jokes and hugging me back and kissing me back and dancing with me and being goofy with me and talking with me and listening to me about the you know, the latest thing I've read or the latest podcast that I'm into or, you know, what I'm drawing right now, what I'm painting right now, what hobby I'm into because I'm always into something. Like, and being able to appreciate those things in that person, like being really genuinely interested in that person and really liking that person and not engaging with them because they look good on paper. Because I was doing that and not realizing I was doing it. And it was because of the subconscious programming that I had in my head from my mother. Um, that's another piece that I want to touch on is that as, you know, your critical role or your role self will often be directed by your critical inner voice. The critical inner voice often has the voice it often takes on the voice of the the parent the main parent um who criticized you made you feel criticized um so obviously you know i started noticing that um the voice was my mother a big help for me in breaking through all of this was somatic therapy i cannot recommend somatic therapy enough um, it really helps you connect your body and mind to certain sensations, um, to certain experiences, excuse me. So connecting your mind to specific sensations and understanding and tapping into the pain that was caused in that rejection of yourself. You know what I'm saying? Just like tapping into the pain, you know, the the type of cries that I had, them ugly sniffs, like break down, you can't even sit up straight type of cries that I experienced in somatic therapy. I'm still working with the same therapist um, now. And I don't work with her on a weekly basis. Sometimes we'll take weeks off and then we'll come back. But I, man, I have gained so much from less than a year in therapy with her than I've had in six years of psychoanalytic talk therapy. Like, honestly, 
I just needed to feel where this the, the source of all of it was and be in tune with my body. I mean, there are many somatic practices, yoga, um, mindful movement, right? Exercise, all kinds of different ways, but somatic therapy, oh my gosh, amazing. I would highly recommend that for anyone who's experiencing or wanting to come back to themselves and break the grip that these role these role selves have of you because it it allows you to really tap into what your body is saying which is your true and authentic self because your body gives you the signals right off the bat your mind stores all of those tapes that keep you in motion around your role self, but your body is fighting it. So in understanding where things start, you can go back to that and start and, and, and gain awareness of it and then be able to move in a different way. That's how, that's how I experienced it. Um, Honestly, it's been the best experience. Like I'm able to actually have a healthy relationship and I'm now able to see why my relationships have not worked in the way that I would have liked them to. Why I have not connected to um, folks in the way that I would like to because I've been playing the game and I'm not interested in that shit anymore. But it was hard because it was like, that's all I knew. I didn't know how to be myself. I've had to learn how to be myself. I've had to learn how to just be okay with being myself. Because I literally, like my um, my thing, my narrative, my story was that no one likes me. And that was because in my family, I was always the one who did too much, the one who was always angry, having tantrums, or, you know, defending um, or countering something, causing drama. At least that's what they said. But honestly, I was just being like, you're fucked up. This is fucked up. Why are you treating me like this? Why are you talk or why are you talking to my sister like this? Why are you talking to so-and-so like that? Um and so I turned into this super nurturing person who like hella suppressed their voice because I didn't want to be the one who was always causing drama. And so that was how I functioned in my relationships. And it allowed people to do shit that they should not have been to disrespect me, period. Let's just be honest. And now I don't fuck with none of them anymore. And it's like, you know, I don't think they're bad people, but that was just, they weren't for me. Um, they weren't for me. So let's take a breath now. What else will this information allow? It will allow you to take responsibility for yourself. Okay. It will, it will allow you to grow the fuck up and take responsibility because you are not going to expect someone to validate you you will be able to hopefully right over in a as the process continues as time goes being in your own power right not letting these dynamics rule your relationships 
And again, progress, not perfection. Um, I don't think you have to be like me and not fuck with anybody um, that's in your life. I don't think so. I mean, if they're unless they're just really not going to work with you around the changes you're trying to make. And then it may be time to let them go. But for me, these changes didn't happen overnight. Um, a lot of these people just dropped off over time. Also, my 20s, like your 20s are for that. I went through my Saturn return. I'm 31 now. I think it was also just a part of like growing up. Um, so that's my experience. Um, but progress, not perfection. You know, your relationships will change and you'll you'll be able to be yourself and speak up for yourself. Um, you probably have so many questions. <laughs> you probably have so many questions, so many feelings in listening to this. Um, I understand that this information is very hard to accept. I encourage you to read the book. I, of course, am not going through everything in this book. I am just addressing what is coming to me organically in this moment, though everything is helpful, extremely helpful. I will end with, um, or we'll taper off with, okay, so chapter eight is how to avoid getting hooked by an emotionally immature parent. And chapter nine is how it feels to live free of roles and fantasies. Now, again, read it yourself. But chapter eight goes into, and I spoke about it a little earlier, the fantasy that a parent will change. And that's what I mean by letting these dynamics rule your relationships and your life. Don't get caught up in the fantasy that they will change. This work for me has let me fully ingest and understand that I'm not responsible for changing anyone's mind about how they should be treating me. I'm responsible for monitoring how I show up in relationships. And if I feel disrespected or if I feel that a relationship is not serving me, speaking up or falling back, um, every decision that I make now is a decision around whether or not I feel peaceful. If I feel like, even if I love someone, if I feel like they're going to disturb my peace, I'm not fucking with it. Since I have learned this information, my intention has been to find inner peace because I was suffering. I was suffering deeply inside. I was afraid. I did not know, I did not like myself. I did not understand why people liked me. I did not understand why people thought I was cool. I did not understand why people thought I had my shit together because I did not. Emotionally anyway. Um, I just didn't see what other people saw. Now I can see it. Luckily, I've, I'm able to understand. I think, you know, it took years of work, but um, and the right therapist, uh, listen, we all need our support team. I did not do this on my own. The ancestors, spirit, Audrey Lord, um, <laughs> Audrey Lord, my therapist, uh, the black queer community and many friends and, 
even if we're not friends anymore and confidants along the way have helped me get here. Like this has been a community effort. So don't think that this is going to just come because you decided it's so like you are going to have so much help getting to where you want to be. Um, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? <laughs> um, okay. How to avoid getting hooked by an EI parent. Yeah. This is just going to take time. Right. And, and process, but the fantasy that a parent will change, just don't worry about the other person changing is that's what I was talking about. Don't worry about the other person changing. That's codependency. That's enmeshment. That's how you stay hooked. Mind your business. Okay. Like worry about your own healing. And if they want to come along, they will. The technique that they give for you as um, an adult child of an emotionally immature parent, which is what this book focuses on, but it it's so applicable to so many things. They have what's called the maturity awareness approach. And so you are able to identify if people are emotionally mature or not, and that dictates how you interact with this person. Um, your This can apply to obviously um, people other than your caregivers or a parent. So the first step of this is expressing and then letting go, focusing on the outcome, not the relationship, managing, not engaging. So basically, if you have something that you need to express to this person, a boundary that you need to set with this person, these are the steps that they recommend. Expressing and then letting go. So you say what you need to say. Um, please do not use that tone of voice with me. It's It feels disrespectful. And then letting go. Focusing on the outcome, not the relationship. So you're focusing on this person, not using that tone of voice with you, not whether or not the relationship is going to fold. Okay? And then managing, not engaging. So say they react in a good way. They say, oh, I'm, I apologize. I didn't realize I was using that tone of voice with you. Um, I'll, I'll be more mindful. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. We move on. Don't make it a big deal. Um, the more realistic reaction is what tone of voice? What are you talking about? I always talk to you like this. Yes, you do. And I haven't said anything in the past, but now I'm letting you know that I do not appreciate that tone of voice. Please do not speak to me that way. It feels disrespectful. Oh, okay, whatever. Thank you. Move on. And at that point, what they're asking you to do is to um, observe, right? Is to use... Um, be observational of the situation and not try to engage with them on an emotional level. Um, manage the situation. Keep your mind on the goal, which is just to not, you know, using the example again, to have them not speak to you like that anymore. Um, again, the book goes into it in a better, in more detail. Um, but I highly encourage this with uh, emotionally immature people. They will try to hook you. 
in situations that are going to be draining to you. They will be familiar. They know how to push your buttons. If they're your parents, if they're your family members, they know how to push your buttons. So detach. A mantra that they use in here is just a detach, detach, detach. When you're in observational mode, detach, detach, detach. So you can pull yourself away. And this is a technique that they recommend you use when you start feeling angry or when you start feeling embarrassed, um, when you start feeling frustrated. If the interaction with these people, with the emotionally immature parent or caregiver is going well, you can enjoy that, obviously, right? But once you start seeing them engage in familiar, shitty behavior, unhealthy behavior, that's when you can um, utilize this technique of focusing on the outcome, not the relationship, managing, not engaging, the mantra of detach, detach, detach. Okay, so it's the maturity awareness approach. This is in chapter eight. Um, yeah, chapter eight also talks about the detached observation. Okay, they um, say this is the first step in gaining your emotional freedom. I agree. Don't put anything on the line. Just go in there and be like, I'm just going to observe the situation. And if you find yourself becoming reactive, detach, detach, detach. It's just like coming back to your breath, waking yourself up because you're going back into that trance. You're going back into that mode that you've been primed for since childhood, primed in, living in, practicing. You've been practicing, you've been practicing, you've been practicing. So at this point, it's a habit. At this point, it's a habit. Your body is just used to it. So of course you're going to snap into it really easily, right? And so just give yourself that self-compassion to understand that you've been doing this for X however many years, and now you're practicing a new skill, which is detachment and going into your authentic role self um, and being observational rather than reactive to this person so they do not have an emotional hold on you if you choose to continue a relationship with them. No contact, I think, is going to be another episode. I don't want to get into that because that's a whole situation for me. I am no contact with my mother, and I don't know how long that's going to last, but that's what I need to do right now. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's something that we immediately jump into, but if you find yourself understanding that that's something you need to do, I recommend doing your research and getting a support system around that, um, getting people around you who, su who support you doing what you need to do for yourself. Okay, so this has been um, a lot of information. I am really proud of y'all for listening to this. If you're listening to this, there's obviously a reason why, and that's your own personal reason. I'm just really proud of you, and I hope that you get everything you need as you're going through this process. I want to end the episode with pulling a card from the Power of Surrender deck, um, which is a, I'll call it kind of like an affirmation 
deck. Um, Judith Orloff, MD, created this deck. Um, it is a partner to the power of surrender, which is one of her books. It's a New York Times bestseller and an amazing book. <laughs> of course, the um, card that comes out is surrender unhealthy relationships. Let go of relationships that don't serve you, including unavailable or toxic people. You deserve to be treasured by others and to be surrounded by positive people. That's synchronicity right there. Um, I want to leave y'all with a mantra that I that is really helpful for me. Um, it comes from The Artist's Way, which is written by Julia Cameron. The Artist's Way is a 12-week creative recovery program, is what she calls it. And um, I forget what week this is in, but it's the idea of treating yourself as a precious thing. You are a precious thing. You deserve to be treated in a tender, respectful, loving, compassionate way. You deserve to be talked to in a way that is kind and soft and understanding and in the intention of actually listening to you and getting to know you. And in order for us to understand that, we have to do that for ourselves. And so I wish you kindness, I wish you tenderness, and I wish you um, moments of treating yourself like a precious thing. I hope you can build that into your life as a practice. And that's it. I'll catch y'all on the next one.